0: Welcome to Knowledgeable Aging. I'm your host, Jason Kotar. Joining us today to talk about moving towards a hyper-age world with medical students disinterested in geriatrics is Jonathan Guimo and Daniela Sosa. Jonathan is a lecturer and researcher in gerontology at Universidad de San Francisco de Quito. He is the director of the community outreach program, SIPM, which aims at improving the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers. He graduated in political sociology from University de Lille in gerontology from King's College in London. He completed his PhD thesis in 2020 in global health and social medicine, also at King's College. Among other roles, he supervises student research, including the one present in this talk today. Daniela Sosa is a six-year medical student, very interested in becoming a geriatrician. She is also the student lead researcher on the study evaluating motivations and deterrence associated with choosing geriatrics as a medical specialty. How are you doing today, Daniela and Jonathan? We're doing great. Thank you. Thank you for being here today. Uh, Before we get started, for those joining us today, if you have any questions, please type those into the box. And time permitting, we will do everything in our power to get those questions answered. So Jonathan, I'm going to turn it over to you, sir.
1: All right. Thank you very much, Jason. Well done on pronunciation, my uh, French last name. That's uh that's so let's let's get started. Our uh, the idea of our of our talk this morning, uh this morning for us, maybe afternoon for you right now, is uh, to talk about two main things. Uh first the idea that we may be entering a hyper-aged world. That's the first argument, the first point we will be uh presenting, and then Daniela will be presenting uh our uh, study and uh, the results also of our work on the literature uh, review around the uh, perception of medical students on geriatrics. And we will link the two uh, to uh, propose an argument around uh, the lack of uh, healthcare provision for older adults. Uh, Most of it will be in the perspective of Ecuador. We are based in uh, the Latin American uh, capital city of uh, Quito. Uh, However, our argument applies to uh, the global, uh, the whole world. So after our two main arguments, we will discuss the consequences and and perspectives of uh, these two main arguments. So my point on my side will be mainly to first explain the, the the general theory around what it means to age what it means to age not as an individual but as a society so here this i will more or less uh explain the principles around the demographic transition and namely and maybe surprisingly the aging of society is not strictly related to older people what i mean by this is that what drives Aging, as uh, as the level of society, is mainly the fall of mortality, mainly among children, and uh, the fall later, often later, of fertility. So mainly it is related to children. So here we are seeing on the on the slide the first step, usually um, characteristic of countries that haven't aged yet, which is represented by many children, represented in a light blue color. Uh, adults and very few older adults so for the main reason that the mortality in infancy and in adulthood are high. Okay, and here I put the numbers, um, of course, of this tiny little model, model, a village of 14 people, to show a bit the tendencies of the number of people to understand the concept of hyperage, but not only that, also the concept of growth of population why is the world growing so quickly in population and why in some ways the argument of overpopulation is uh, inadequate to be um, to be used and I, I hope i will be convincing in that regard so in the first step a, a country that hasn't aged yet in the second one a country where m- mortality is declining especially in younger age where you see More adults, but still a lot of children and still few adults, few older adults. And we see here a very significant increase of population. The third step, which is characteristic of relatively aged countries, smaller fertility represented by fewer children, a lot of adults, and a lot more older adults. Here again, 17, still a high number of people. And the fourth and last step, um, which is represented by a lot of older adults, Many adults and many, and uh, sorry, uh, relatively few adults and relatively few uh, younger people represented here by a fall in the number of the total population. And just like COVID, it works in waves. That means the transition, the demographic transition works in waves. First, many young people, then uh, many adults, and then the last wave, many older adults, which creates a period of time in history whereby the proportion of older adults is abnormally high. But this is the result of statistical uh, processes, the demographic uh, processes, which is often referred to as demographic inertia. So this helps understand why also we have seen such an increase in population in the world. It's not because there are many children it's because the children are no longer dying and then reaching adulthood and then reaching older age. So we've talked now about hyper age society uh, in principle, but let's look at the world in practice. And here I'm showing a number of um, age pyramids that. I I will comment very little, but just for you to give a rough idea of what the state of the world in terms of aging is. So this is the age pyramid of Europe, where you can already see that we are quite advanced in phase three and four that I was mentioning before, where you can see the base represented by younger people narrowing quite significantly a very significant amount of uh, adults and quite a lot of older adults and we're gonna continue quickly through the various regions of the world to realize one key thing. The world is very advanced in terms of aging. As you can see, Asia is maybe not as old as Europe, but it is getting old very quickly. Then North America, not also as old as Europe, but also represented by a nature pyramid that is characteristic of older continents. Central and Latin America, and I think this is uh, quite a surprise to a lot of people, it also displays a rather old age pyramid. Still, you can see that the movement towards the older age is still quite far off, but we are on the way, and you can see that fertility is declining quickly uh, in Latin America. Now, Oceania maybe is among the least uh, aged continent, except Africa. We're going to come to this in a moment. Uh, And I want to show you the world. That is the age pyramid currently of the world, which represents both the pyramidal shape of a developing aging world, but at the same time, clearly narrowing the base, which is characteristic of an aged world. But when we look at this, we are thinking, but this is not really representative of what we just saw of the other age pyramids. And that would be fact. Why? Because of Africa. And I, I stop for a few seconds on Africa, because in a way, Africa changes our perception of aging in the world. If for a second we put Africa between brackets, the aging, the, the status of aging in the world is far more advanced than we think. And I think uh, because we consider Africa every time when we look at the data, we tend to get confused about how aged the world has been and is currently. Um, so, uh, and I, I will try to make it as brief as possible to make, to help you understand what the concept of hyper age society is here. This is a graph extrapolated for, from uh, Japan where we can see first, uh, so sorry, maybe first explain to you what you are looking at right now, population here in, in the Y's and in the X you have time. In the light blue that is uh, representing by younger people, darker blue adults and older adults as the darkest blue what you can see here is first you have a wave of younger of younger people that declines over time followed by later on a wave of adults because the younger people have aged to become adults and later on once this generation has reached older age you see a third wave of uh, older adults uh, and you can see that between here, more or less within the frame, you have a period of time where the proportion of older adults is abnormally high. By I mean I abnormally, I don't mean it's a bad thing. I mean, it's just a result of demographic inertia, which create this temporary, um, hyperaged society. I say temporary because it's only a matter of time where, uh, after which uh, things stabilize and become Somewhat normal, where maybe a, a little less than a third of people, maybe 25% of people, are older adults. 25% are younger adults, and 50% are adults. So let's transition to um, the argument presented by uh, by Daniela, whereby we ask the question: Are we ready? for this hybrid society. And we're looking more specifically at the need for geriatrician. Um How can we translate this lack of um, well, this hyperage world to inadequate health care. Uh, we're looking more specifically at geriatricians, although it's arguable and clear that they are not the only one caring for older adults, but we are more looking at it from a, a, a characteristic of the care of older adults, an example. And a geriatrician is a medical doctor specialized in the holistic care of older adults. I think it's an important point to make before we talk about uh, geriatricians. Uh, And yes, there are only one group, there are family uh, caregivers, there are a number of uh, professional caregivers also, geriatricians being one subgroup of people. So I'm gonna let uh, Daniela continue with um, the second part of our talk.
2: Okay, thank you. In Ecuador, there are enough medical doctors to fulfill the need of the population according to the WHO. However, there are only 120 geriatricians and for every geriatrician, we need two more. And to make matters worse, around a third of geriatricians are about to retire. Why do we have such a large gap? It could be because only one university offers a geriatrics program, which opens only seven places each year. Geriatricians represent less than 1% of all Ecuadorian specialization opportunities. But this is insufficient to explain why we have so few geriatricians. Why? Because many geriatricians in the country graduated from neighboring countries. The answer is most likely in how medical students perceive geriatrics. From our research and the review of the scientific literature, the three most important deterrents for students are first one, the characteristics of the geriatric specialty frightens medical students. Second one, medical students are poorly and insufficiently exposed to older adults, and third one, gerontophobia, that is the fear of older age. Very few medical students want to choose geriatrics. However, most students praise the importance of geriatrics. In summary, students say, it is such an important specialty, but I don't want to become a geriatrician. Reasons for this specialty's preference include financial income, a particular affinity to the area, and the perception of having a personality incapable of coping with the difficult situations of elderly patients. In the United States, attending a geriatrics program is surprisingly associated with a loss of income. The more you study the topic, the less you earn. One year of geriatrics fellowship represents $7,000 $7,000 lost every year after studies. The most used word to describe geriatrics in our study was sad. In addition, some students feel older people are to blame for their illness because of poor lifestyle choices and because they were foolish and did not comply with their treatment. Another argument was that medical students don't want to care for the patient's social-emotional problems. Students perceive it is less attractive to take care of elderly people because of the characteristics of aging. It is frustrating to them to treat chronic disease that will not be solved they are having the sensation that their role is only to accompany patients in the part of death while being a medical doctor is seen as being there to save lives. The complexity of patients, that is polypharmacy, lack of compliance with treatments because cognitive problems, and the impossibility of seeing treatment effects deter students from choosing geriatrics. Finally, Students identify their disinterest for geriatrics as a consequence of a lack of exposure to the field. Students do have contact with elderly people in our medical branches, but this exposure don't give them the adequate tools to manage older patients in an integral and holistic manner, at least not now. Furthermore, Medical students are not provided with positive authority geriatrics figures that could attract them to the field. Have you ever seen a single geriatrician in-house, Grace Anatomy, or the good doctor? No, because there isn't one. Why? Because there are negative stereotypes and a low priority given to geriatrics by healthcare personnel and society in general. Only one-fourth of medical teachers identify education on aging as essential. This contributes to many students thinking that there are few work vacancies in geriatric. Finally, students express elements of gerontophobia. The vocabulary used by students to talk about older adults suggests prejudice added to the perception that there is no life-saving in older age. They seem to reflect the fear of their own aging and mortality under disinterest in geriatrics. Despite these factors, study participants only refer to elements motivating them toward geriatrics. The three most important motivators to follow this field are positive experience of working with older adults, affinity to elderly populations, and a sense of activism against gerontophobia. High quality experiences are related to considering geriatrics as an option. Contact with older adults was associated with positive feelings and satisfaction. Students desire to become geriatrics to counteract mistreatment and abuse that they have seen in healthcare services against older adults. Also, there are students that feel naturally attracted to elderly people and enjoy primary care service. It's unusual, but it is found. Finally, students' personal experience with end of life and death of older adults, for example, in their families, acted sometimes as a motivator toward geriatrics because they have felt the pain associated with the death of someone close or patient, they felt the need to comfort patients and improve their quality of life.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Daniela. I will uh, conclude with um Putting together these two ideas that we've put together of a hyperaged world uh, with the notion that uh, not only there are not enough geriatricians, but on top of it, there is a strong disinterest for a number of reasons that we mentioned uh, against choosing to work around older adults. And I think that as educators, as students, as geriatricians, we all have a responsibility to promote geriatrics, but not just geriatrics, caregiving in general for older adults, to newer generations. Why? Because if we do not succeed this transition, the hyperage society, the hyperage period of time we're going to enter is going to be difficult. It's going to be a challenge. We will not be prepared for uh, what is coming. And that is a major issue. For example, uh, and I think the relation with the age society is interesting. In the US and Europe, a tremendous proportion of caregivers are foreigners, they are immigrants. Now what will happen when the continents uh, these immigrants are coming from reach age uh, uh, status and stop moving? Who? will be the caregivers in the older continents like Europe, uh, Eastern Asia, and Northern Africa. Well, Eastern Asia to a lesser extent. Um, But uh, that is a key issue. And I think we all have that responsibility to ensure that we are prepared, that we are ready uh, to promote um, quality caregiving to to older adults. Uh, and, And I think right now a lot of caregiving at the medical level is not done by professionals with the adequate training to take care of older people and that's why i insisted on the word holistic about geriatricians because there is an understanding of considering the patient as a whole instead of looking at it from specific um, angles like cardiology or respiratory uh, specializations uh, in the case of older adults the notion of quality of life, notion of uh, the, the multi, uh, the comorbidities of the patient will be taken into account in a far greater way than uh, other medical doctors who are specialized in other areas would. I mean, I guess the other option is to sensibilize the other uh, specialists to a greater extent, but again, there is not a tremendous interest among this population to become more specialized so, these were uh, are our conclusion uh, words on, on, on the topic, and uh, I think we can take some questions at this point in time. Um, That's yes. Jason or Jason. Uh, very
0: good, thank you. Thank, thank you. thank you very and, uh, much, uh, Jason. A question for you, Jonathan your, your PhD is in global health and social medicine. Why gerontology for you?
1: Uh, why gerontology? For me, this is a question that is asked often, uh, mainly because uh, people who choose the field of gerontology or geriatrics, unlike Daniela and, and myself, tend to choose it at a later moment in their life when they have encountered uh, the events that lead them to this. It's usually associated with uh, significant moments in life. And uh, I guess I've had that experience earlier on. I I had the chance to... Uh, witness to be alongside my my the the end of life of my great-grandmother when i was uh younger some 15 years ago and i found i mean a lot of people would have found it terrifying but i found this amazingly beautiful and and a moment in life a moment in society that i found just simply magical Um, i i I do acknowledge and I, i feel the way how sad uh, these moments can be, but also everything we do in life, whatever we do, we all end up at this moment. It's the ultimate fair moment of life when we are all facing our last breath. And I thought uh, I really wanted to know more about it. And progressively I, I got myself into the field. And before I knew it, uh, I was registering to a master's and then later on to a PhD in the field of aging. And here I am now teaching this area. So, you know, uh, I think it's a, it's a field very close to activism, somewhat similar to women's studies in the sense that we very quickly become activists of, of the area and we feel all the responsibility to promote uh, the topic. That's how I would answer the yeah. question, Jason.
0: Yeah, so let's talk COVID. Obviously, this is not uh, a country specific, this is a global pandemic. Talk to me about the consequences of uh, global and regional aging uh, as it pertains to COVID.
1: So in the last few months, I because I've been thinking of the hyperage period of time for, for a while and I asked myself to what extent COVID would uh, destroy this particular period in time by erasing partly this older generation wave. But just to, I, I think it's hard for us to, to get a rough idea of how many people die and what it represents. So in the world, in 2020, there are roughly 1 billion older adults, 1 billion. And at this point in time, uh, as per the data reported, there were about 800, between 8 and 900 people who have died from COVID, of whom uh, somewhat maybe two-thirds, uh, between half and two-thirds are older adults, which roughly would represent 600,000 people. So it represents six older adult deaths of COVID out of every 10,000 older adults. Just to give us a rough idea of what it represents, it would represent less than half of currently all older adults in the small country of Ecuador. So really, uh, of course, and unfortunately the COVID epidemic is far from being over, uh, but uh, it means that we are still very far from having a strongly significant impact of COVID on the older age population, which suggests that the hyperaged uh, wave is not uh, in, uh, uh, is not going to disappear right Daniela
0: this is your sixth year as a medical student what What do you say to fellow medical students as uh, as it pertains to gerontology as their medical uh, as far as them getting into gerontology what do you say to them
2: i don't think that I have um really precise answer because I think that to follow geriatrics or gerontology is, is something that you feel in your heart. I think that it's something with what you like, recognize yourself. So I can only say to them that they need to find what makes them happy in what specialty they are going to give all their heart helping people.
0: Very good. Jonathan, um, so this is a study right now that you're doing on a hyper-age society. What's next for you? I know you're a researcher at heart, so, so
1: what do you have next? So, so what we did at this point in time is that we interviewed medical students uh, of any preferences of, of specialty to understand what their motivations and veterans in relation to uh, geriatrics were. Uh, but I think our next step is to look only For a first time, at least uh, to to start with, only looking at those interested or within the program of geriatrics to understand their own uh, preferences, their own motivations, to understand more specifically the profile of the future geriatricians, to understand how also to trigger vocations towards uh, older age. So, first, We looked at the general population. Now we are going to look at the more specific subgroup. And most likely within this period, our our goal would be to develop some form of guideline or recommendations to change the discourse around geriatrics and to improve the the promotion of that specialty. Often researchers are perceived as people uh, hidden in uh, their field and only focusing on research without necessarily considering what impact they could have on society, although with COVID that has changed quite a lot. Um, but in our case, it seems quite clear to us that this research has the purpose to change things, to change how we teach uh, older age. I don't want to say geriatrics because in, in uh, um, undergrad schools of, of medicine, we can't yet really talk of geriatrics. But I mean, when I, for example, when I look at, at uh, our degrees here, there is such a large amount of energy put into teaching students about pediatrics and almost nothing, hardly anything about teaching uh, students to uh, look at older adults. So this is kind of my, my battle, if I may put it that way. And research is a tool to uh, to implement change, if I may, if I may say that uh, roughly. No.
0: Well, that's good and, and and this has been wonderful today that you said the research you're bringing to the forefront um the battle that we have and uh thank you very much uh Daniela and Jonathan uh,
1: how can people find you Uh how can people find us so um there are many ways of course you can google us uh, you will find us some uh, you will find us somehow uh, you can put our name on on facebook on linkedin so my name is jonathan uh guillemot i'm going to spell my name just in case you are not seeing the video at the, at this point in time so it's um um so just my last name guillemot g-u-i-l-l E-M-O-T, so I'm going to mention my email address in case you wanna get in in touch. That would be J-R, and then my last name that I'm going to say again, G-U-I-L-L-E-M-O-T at, and that's the the university code afterwards, U-S-F-Q dot E-D-U dot E-C. Sorry, I get confused with Spanish and English sometimes. That's how you can contact us, but Googling will do the job. Very good. Well, once again, thank you uh, very
0: much for your time today, Daniela and Jonathan. Um, till next time, I'm your host, Jason Kotar, and this is Knowledgeable Aging.